This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today I'm joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Gav Buckland, who chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park and the dastardly international break. It's always back to the real stuff, the proper footy, and it doesn't get much tougher, does it? Trip to the Etihad on Sunday to 2pm, and the Blues injury list does not seem to have got any less. We will reflect on a press conference from Rafa Benitez, who he's just conducted at Finch Farm uh, this afternoon, and assess the state of the team and the squad going into a, a very, very difficult afternoon and a place preno where staggeringly, it, it still stuns me every time I've, I've read it over the last couple of years, a place where we've not won a game since 2010. Is that, that's right, isn't it? That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, it, it's weird that we seem to have had this record against Manchester City, which was out of kilter with our respective Premier League standing up until then. It was one of those happy hunting grounds that, you know, so we you know, we usually took uh, took knives to the gunfight and ended up inflicting wounds and coming back with something. And uh, it was just strange. I mean, sometimes you do get teams like that, that, you know, always fare particularly well at particular grounds or against particular sides. And City were ours, you know, so even though they were winning things at the time and they had very, very strong squad, like you say, up until 2010. Unfortunately, in more recent years, Crystal Palace appears to have inherited that mantle and seems to be uh, getting decent results against uh, Manchester City unexpectedly. And we don't. Um, so, no, it doesn't surprise me because, like, let's face it, since 2010, City's squad has been absolutely incredible. I mean, you look at the quality on their subs bench, you know, so most week- weekends, and it makes you shudder. So, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. And, uh, well, well, we'll talk about the game a little bit later, but... I'm not wildly optimistic that that's going to change anytime soon. Mm. I think uh, BBC Radio Merseyside, uh, Mike Hughes, a friend, a friend of the Echo, was 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 thinking back to better times. He asked Rafa Benitez about Main Road in today's press conference. We've <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, not been there for a while, have we? But um, um, Ad, um, let's let's talk about the team then. Um, and just for people listening who haven't caught up with with the team news that Rafa delivered, um, it, it, it ain't much better. No, <laughs> no, it's, it's not really improved. You know, we saw the pictures of Yeni Mina, particularly in training over the international break, didn't we? And we, we did think to ourselves. Well, I was thinking to myself, certainly. Oh, is he going to be? Is he going to be potentially fifth for this game? And uh, it doesn't seem that he's made it, so he's not going to be available there. Uh, Abdoulaye Decore still not fit. He's still going to be one or two weeks away, apparently. Uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin still two or three weeks away as well which is a really shame so uh yeah it, it, it's still still not really looking loads better for everton in terms of the injury front which uh which isn't great mm. no no gomez as well we should say he's still still injured with calf problem holgate of course uh suspended um so here we are gav this is the easy question how do we go and get a result um that's an easy question, is it? That's the, that's the easy question. <laughs> um, I think the starting point, you want the, the work of Ethan and Endeavour that we showed against Spurs. That, that has to be a given. Unless unless we show that and the organisation and the way we were set up um, by, by Benitez, then, you know, if we don't do that, then it's going to be a struggle. So we, 
we've basically got to do everything that we did against Spurs and then take it from there. Um, as you say, Crystal, still a bit mystified over City. They've had a lot of plaudits, haven't they? Um, played reasonably well against Man United, but you know, it's Palace showed it. I just don't think City are as good as what they were four or five years ago when they win that title with 100 points. And I think Southampton, Southampton do there this season, didn't they? I think. Um, so yeah, it's it's not a, it's not an impossible job, but the starting point, fellas, just to you know show that determination we did against Spurs and and take it from there. Mm. Pranos, I mean, tactically, how, how do you how do you approach City? Because we we'll have, we'll have had this conversation on the podcast a number of times. Do you go to sit in, sit deep, contain them at least, try to contain them and hit them on the break? Because that was probably what most teams would do against City. Or do you try and be a bit more aggressive? Do you try and be a bit more front foot? Do you press higher? I, 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 do we have the players for that? I'm not, I'm not sure we do, no. Um, I think we need to go there and, you know, a similar kind of setup to what we did at Manchester United, which is sit deep and try and, you know, sort of counter them on the break. Difficult, you know, so when, uh, you know, you've lost like the pace of Calvert-Lewin and, you know, so your, your options are very, very limited. Uh, but that's the only way you can do it, really. I mean, Rafa was asked at the press conference about uh, the difficulties in facing a team like City, you know, who play with, you know, recognised, you know, sort of front man as such, you know, the false nine. And it is a very, very flexible tactical setup. And they do that to try and pull players out of position, to try and create space, you know, so to get people into the box, into the touchline. And it, we know we just have to defend very, very well and uh, try and take those opportunities, you know, sort of as and when, you know, they come to us. I mean, there are some, you know, rays of sunshine, if you like. I mean, uh, I got sent something this week, uh, one of those, like, stats emails talking about the teams that fare, fare best after the international break. And Everton are fourth in the Premier League, you know, in terms of points gained after international breaks, uh, even better than Chelsea. Unfortunately, the team is third as Manchester City, uh, so they also, you know, still perform very, very well. Uh, and again, what's in our favour, I suppose, is that we've had the fewest call-ups of any team in its international break, just three players away. City had the most, with 72% of their squad away. But then again, when you've got a squad like Manchester City's, who's got like, you know, talent all over the place, and all of our international players are injured, <laughs> that doesn't really uh, stack up, does it? So... Bottom line is, yes, we need to defend really, really well. You know, so we need to be super switched on. Not something that we have been on a number of occasions this season. We were against Tottenham. Admittedly, Tottenham didn't offer that much in terms of threat going forward, but they had dangerous players. You know, Harry Kane and Son both played. So we need to defend absolutely meticulously and take our opportunities when they come on the break. That's what Crystal Palace did. They also got a little bit of luck with the uh, refereeing on the day. We also need that. We need a little bit of good fortune. And isn't it quite entertaining that Stuart Atwell is actually in charge of the game this weekend after uh, the fan who was on match of the day a couple of weeks ago would be racing him. So uh, someone's got a sense of humour. Let's hope we're still smiling on Sunday. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Given what we know then about injuries, yeah. how, how different do you expect the team to look? Will it look any different? I think you'd be forced to do what we had against Spurs, really, wouldn't we? I think I don't think we've got many options. Um, I like that idea of Dolph screen on the back four and 
you know, Alan pushing up maybe in a four-one-four-one. Um, and I think that's it's, don't want to say this, but I think our centre halves. Think of it. Remember last year we had a murder in Mid City at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Godfrey, yeah. Keane. Um, I think Hallgate played, didn't he? Don't want to repeat that. I mean, there's a, there's a it's possible. Well, Hallgate's going to be suspended, isn't he? Um, it's, I don't think he was too disappointed with that. Um, but but uh, I think yeah, similar to Spurs, Phil. I think to be honest, with you, we haven't got that many options. I think if you play. Delphine Allen as a two doesn't really work for me. Um, I think 4-1-4-1 sort of thing that we had against Spurs would be the best way to do it. Funny enough, kind of talking about, uh, just to go back in time a little bit, the teams played with no strikers. The first time I can remember anybody played with no strikers was Everton at Man City in 2008. Remember after the act on his, didn't he do his Achilles at Spurs? We had no forwards. We sort of played like four... Four six zero with Kale and Fellaini alternating as, as strikers for the game, and, and Kale scored in the last minute. Um, yeah, so four one four. So that's that four one four one we did against Spurs would be the, the the obvious one for for me, Phil. Uh, and 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 see, but we, it's not about the formation for me. It's 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 that effort and desire, you know that 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 um, that determination we showed against Tottenham is, is the important thing, not the tactics. Mm, absolutely, and uh, I suppose many people outside of the, of the club will, will see this as a free hit for Everton, um, Preno, and, and you know it's you know anything is a bonus in that respect. How do you think you know knowing Rafa perhaps as you do better than us? Perhaps how do you think he looks at it? Does, does Rafa believe? Do you think Rafa believes that a victory is possible? I mean, I, mean, I just or do you think he's too pragmatic to kind of think that we could go there and, and get something or? No, he's a realist. Um, you know, so he's not going to go there, you know, with ridiculous expectations. But he will have a plan that he will believe will work. And uh, the important thing is actually convincing the players that he sends out there that it can work. Uh, he talks a lot about confidence and about players having belief and self-belief. And that only comes with results, and our results have been poor recently. I mean, five games in a row now, we still haven't won. I mean, we looked at the games, you know, against Watford and saw how important that was, given. The severity of the fixtures that was facing us, and why we needed to get a result that day, well, we didn't. And uh, it makes you look at the fixtures coming up and think, oh, wow, you know, so where's the next win going to come from? Uh, so, you know, instilling belief into the players is the important thing. But he definitely will, you know, so he will have a plan, you know, sort of laid out that, you know, that could work if we get the rubber the green, if things go in the right way, if players play to their full potential. City have an off day. I mean, you know, so City will be favourites, massively odds-on favourites, and understandably so. But as Gab mentioned earlier, there have been occasions this season where they have been, you know, sort of, you know, caught out. Like I say, not just Crystal Palace, Southampton as well, you know, sort of caught them out. So, you know, it's a possibility. I don't want to say more than that. It needs an awful lot of things to go for us on the day. But 100%, Rafa will believe that, you know, so he's got a plan that can work. And, uh, you know, he's, he's achieved, you know, sort of unlikely results in the past with different teams. And they believe he can do so again. It's up to the players to believe it, though. We've got to show more confidence and more self-belief than we have in other games. And there were elements of that against Tottenham, which was good to see. I wouldn't say a swagger, but there was a little bit more self-belief, you know, sort of amongst the players there. And you've got to do it. You've got to go there. And, you know, Fabian Delph playing is important because he has yes. that in his makeup anyway. He has that, like, natural self-confidence. And, uh, you know, if he can 
and spread that, you know, so amongst the players and they can take that confidence from him, you know, so hopefully it can prove infectious. Yeah, well, Gav, uh, Preda brings us on to Fabian Delph and I was going to ask you anyway about him. Um, you know, jokes aside, um, he will play on Sunday if it sounds like he is fit. Rafa actually said today in his press conference, he's having to hold him back in training. He's, you know, yeah. and... And he used that as a positive, you know, he said he's displaying the, the absolutely right attitude, but given what's his injury record, I'm just having to hold him back. Surely, though, as Preno says, surely he is absolutely essential, though, to, to any success we have on Sunday, because by and large, he's the only player in the team who can keep the ball consistently well. Yeah, I think it's just essential to his full stop Sunday and every other game that follows that he's fit, isn't he, at the moment? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, yeah. I've, I thought he was excellent against Spurs. He was excellent at Wolves, wasn't he? Um, yeah, I just concerned about our lack of pace through the through the middle. You know, not the fastest in the parish, is he? Um, Delph, I think, I think he's a nailed on yellow card, isn't he? If yeah, <laughs> that would be the concern. But he's yeah. good organizer. You know, he's he's got that experience, so we absolutely. Um, as I say, given the weakness of perhaps in, in centre half position, he's essential, isn't he? Just in front of um, of those two, but yeah, key player, key player for us, and um, you know he needs to be on his on his game on Sunday. I, I ground he knows knows well. Um, mm. Always interesting going back, um, but yeah, is it not necessarily what what Venice has said there about Delph? It's always not not say riles me, but you know, players so you manage to talk about players training well and doing all pay for, are you know? Do you think do you think though, Gav? <laughs> do you think twofold? Do you think Rafa maybe just said it as as a very yeah. direct answer to a direct question? But knowing Rafa like we do, does he also gain a little bit of something in terms of sending a little message by saying they'll been training well again? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 good. It it's it, I think he, I would say, wasn't necessarily talking about that statement because I think, I think he, he probably realises Benitez that Delft's relationship with fans has not been the best, shall we say, on the pitch and perhaps sometimes off it. Um, so I think it's good PR if he tells the supporters that you know Delft's up for it and working hard. I think that's. Not necessarily something I agree with, but I can understand why you want to say that about Delph in particular at this moment in time. Mm. Uh, but don't train too hard, Fabian. We don't want you getting injured, for God's sake. You know, well, uh, don't leave, don't leave your stuff in Finch Farm. Leave it. I was on the pitch on uh, on Sunday. Absolutely. Yeah, I can see why he said that though. Yeah, Preno, um, just going back to uh, somebody who won't be involved, Calvert Lewin. Um, Rafa said in his press conference at least two to three weeks. So that takes us so. At least that takes us to what early to mid December. In your head, realistically, how much there, how much allowance do we then have to make for him to be match fit? And realistically, when do you think, based on that assumption, as a, as a best case scenario, two to three weeks? How long do you think actually before we're going to see Calvert Lewin back up to one hundred percent? I'm concerned that it's going to be into, into the new year, and I think through this very difficult run of fixtures, he may be back but not fully back, if you understand what I mean. You can only hope that the, the manager is being quite cute there. I'm not trying to give too much away. I mean, I was at the uh, the function in town last Saturday night where Dominic Calvert-Lewin was up on stage with 
get this, Jamie Carragher and Rod Stewart. Yeah, work that one out if you can. Uh, but he was actually asked a direct question about his fitness. And he didn't give too much away. He said, oh, well, a couple of weeks. And he was asked about the, uh, the derby match specifically and didn't rule it out. Now, whether that's just him being a little bit, you know, so overly optimistic and hoping to be back then, I don't know. Maybe the manager doesn't want to play, place too much pressure on him. That's why he's saying a couple of weeks at the very least. Uh, but you're right, you know, so once he does get back, you know, so match sharpness and match fitness is a very different thing from, you know, sort of being uninjured and being physically fit. Uh, and he is going to find that, as we discovered with Salomon Rondon, uh, but obviously that's a different, you know, sort of arguments altogether. He's been playing in a different league for the last uh, few years. Um Whatever condition he's in, when he comes back, he's going to be so important, A, because of his aerial presence, B, because of his pace, even if we're only going to get like an hour out of him to begin with, that's you know a huge bonus because he is so important. But yeah, we may well have to manage him quite carefully because you know, I suppose he started the season, you know, so it's not been like, you know, so, so long term that he's not had a pre-season or anything. He has had a pre-season. So hopefully, you know, it won't take him as long as it might have done normally. But we might have to bear with him. Uh, for a week or two, but he's young, you know, so he's uh, he's got that like sort of natural fitness, he's got his pre season under his belt, so hopefully it won't take long. And hopefully, the manager is just telling Porkies <laughs> he's uh, he's going to be back for the derby match, <laughs> yeah. Um, Gavin, we, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago about, about the run of fixtures in front of us, and this is the yeah. start of it. And it does, it does fill me with a, a concern that, yeah, hopefully, Rafa is being a bit coy about Calvert Lewin's comeback, but if he's been truthful and saying at least two to three weeks I'm just concerned that we will be right through this very difficult period Liverpool City Liverpool Chelsea Leicester Arsenal still without Dominic as we would like to see him yeah it's just say if I was on stage with Rod Stewart somebody asked me about me fitness and say I'd say I don't want to talk about it that's the end of the day. Oh, thanks very much for listening. The list is endless. Yeah, one for our older listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you'll have plenty of opportunities to prove his fitness only in December, Phil. Mm. Um, and I think he's going to have to. I mean, I think you know, if, if he'd been fit four nights ago. Yeah. Sorry, Phil. Go on. Go on. I was going to say, he's been fit. It's pretty ideal, isn't he? He's got, we've got one game a week, haven't we? For, you know, three, four weeks, whatever, until the end of November. Comes back at the busiest time of the year, which is not ideal, is it? Because there'll be other people struggling. There'll be a temptation to play him. You know, recovery time between games is going to be limited. So it's not an... In one way, it's good that he's got opportunities for game time. The other side of the coin is there may be a temptation to over a risk of overusing them. Yeah. I mean, I'm just concerned with Dominic that he's been two to three weeks away from fitness for about two months now, hasn't he? Um, and I think, obviously, there's been movement in the medical team, you know, but maybe linked to that. Um, so, yeah, it's not not an ideal time for, for him personally, I think, come, in terms of his rehabilitation to come back, um, the, you know, the beginning or middle of December, is it, really? Mm. I was just sorry, Gav, when I was interrupting you there, I was gonna say, well, okay then, let's move the conversation on to Richarlison. I'm a big fan of Richarlison, but I understand he's not had a good twelve months particularly, and I know some fans have not absolutely not gone off him, but have maybe cooled a little bit on him and and, and what other two things. Is he good enough 
as a number nine to lead the line and produce, you know, the goods, so to speak, for want of a better phrase, while Dominic is still out and then still getting to, yeah. to where he needs to be. Two different, two different players, aren't they? Uh, I think. I don't like Richarlison at number nine. I said this before. I don't think. Don't think he's the best where the ball's played into him on the halfway line or in enemy territory when he's got his back to goal. I think he struggles. We know about his tendency to go go to ground. Richarlison's main thing for me is give him grass in front of him to run into. You know, and you get that space out wide. That's where he's at his most potent. Um, he's not Calvert Lewin thrives, doesn't he? On balls played in from wide and getting on the end of things. Not sure whether Richarlison can do that, but he's got other. He's, he, let's say, you know, cards on the table. He's, I think he's a better player than Calvert Lewin. That's reflected in the sorts of clubs that have been linked with him and his place value that he's got. He's got more strings to his belt. Suspect he's got a different mentality, as I said before, to the other members of the team, largely. Uh, but I don't think you get the best out of him playing him at number nine, uh, to be honest with you. And this this takes us back to the disappointing form of um, Rondon, doesn't it? Because if Rondon had come in and been fit and you know shown a little bit of what he'd done in Newcastle, we could have played another still an opportunity to, to play him up top and play with Charleston, I think, and out wide left or just behind the striker where I think he's far more effective. Yeah, he can play nine, but it's... It's, you're not getting the best out of your major asset then, are you? Which, which is, I don't think is a healthy position to be in. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Um, I was going to say before, when Preno said, you know, Rondon came in, he'd be play, playing in a different league. I, said, I was about to say, I think some Evertonians still think he's playing in a different <laughs> league. But, um, yeah. yeah. Um, Preno, <laughs> if Richarlison was on this pod, he would say, undoubtedly, I'm a number nine. That's my best position. Do you agree with Gav that it's not? I, I totally do, yes. Um, whenever he has played number nine, I, I think he struggled. I mean, notably, was it Burnley at home earlier this season? Where, okay, we won the game and he did put in a real shift and he tried to lead the line as best as he could against a very physical team and ultimately picked up an injury which kept him out for like three or four weeks. And the manager made a point of praising him afterwards, but I just don't think we saw the best of him. Um, he's best playing off a striker or playing the channels, you know, so where he has got, you know, ability to use his running and his dribbling ability. And you can't do that with your back to goal. He's decent in the air, which is why maybe, you know, he believes he can play that role. Uh, but no, I think, you know, an old fashioned parlance, he's an inside forward, you know, so yeah. he's a guy that runs the channels and plays that role much better than a centre forward. And he will do a job willingly and he will do a job you know, to a certain degree of effectiveness well, no, he's much better, you know, sort of playing off somebody or, you know, sort of behind somebody. Um, and, you know, so certainly you know, at a place like Manchester City, him running with the ball at his feet is where you probably have, you know, sort of more success than maybe, you know, sort of trying to get on the end of the very few crosses we're likely to get into the box. Mm, absolutely. Um, just just uh, sort of uh, moving from theme to theme, Gav, uh, this week, I think at the end towards, in the last couple of days, John Pickford's name's been in the newspapers mm-hmm suggestions uh, in the national press that Antonio Conte Spurs wants Pickford. Um, he'll have two years left on his deal in the summer. Do you think there's a decision to be made? Do you, how do you, do you think there's anything to be concerned about? Or um, 
first of all, in a strange way, this is good news, isn't it? Yeah. That a manager of Conti's pedigree and experience is targeting or yeah. talk about it, you know, whether he is or not, but is being linked, shall we say, to Pickford. Because that, that's a reflection, I think, of Jordan's maturity and progression over the last 18 months. Actually, if you think about it, since the uh, the incident that nobody ever talks about last year in the derby, <laughs> um, um, since then, you know, he, I think he's uh, he's looked a lot calmer um, and he's, we all know he's still got a um, got a mistake in him. Um, <laughs> that went missed, and it was this mad throw. Was it against Spurs where he completely yeah. got it wrong? Um, but he, he's been excellent, hasn't he? This year, this calendar year for England as well. So I think it's good news that somebody, as I like Conte, is targeting him potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a reflection on him. He's had his peak, he's getting to his peak, isn't he? 27, two years left. The, the, the the concern is, and I think the concern is goes back to we briefly mentioned FFP in January transfer windows last week. You know, is when the club looks at their books and the way forward to progress, do they turn around and say, Well, actually, for us to progress, we've got to sell one of our asset assets that will command a, a decent transfer fee. And that's not necessarily limited to Jordan, is it's limited to you know, it's probably three or four players on that list. Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I mean, yeah. do, do goalkeepers command those kinds of? And I know things have changed in, in recent years, but you know, it's still you know, so not that common for goalkeepers to you know, sort of command those absolutely massive transfer fees that would make it worthwhile. I mean, I'm a big Jordan Pickford fan, as I've said many, many times. I, I wouldn't sell him. You know, I think two years. You know, so you know, left on his deal. Great. You know, talk this summer about extending it. Uh, I saw he was trending on um, on Twitter earlier, and I thought, well, what's, what's he done now? And it's not just people talking about him; just people, you know. I don't know. He seems to attract attention everywhere he goes, and always not always in a good way. Uh, I don't know why. It's like people can't wait to jump on his case. I mean, Adam Ramsdale, you know, so he keeps a clean sheet against San Marino, and uh, people start talking about, you know, so Jordan Pickford. I mean, hang on, you know, so he's England's number one goalkeeper, who's like, you know kept his place deservedly because Gareth Southgate trusts him and wherever he's played for his country, he's been outstanding. Uh, he's been outstanding for Everton for the last 12, 18 months. Um, so, you know, he's very, very important. And to make the, that financial fair play you know, thing work, you've got to be in a situation like, you know, so dare we say across the park, where they get a ludicrous sum of money thrown at them for somebody like Philip Coutinho, which then enables them, you know, to spend that money on players like Virgil van Dijk and Alisson. Um, would we get a similar kind of figure, you know, sort of given to us by Chelsea for Jordan Pickford? We wouldn't, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be guessing, but what, 60 million, 70 million, you know, would that make it worthwhile? Would it, would it make it, you know, sort of worth doing? I don't think it would. Uh, to get a goalkeeper of his quality, you're probably going to have to spend, you know, sort of a fair chunk of that as well. What does that leave then? Now, the whole thing leaves me a bit uneasy. You know, so goalkeeper is such an important position in a team. And if you've got it nailed and if he's performing well and he's still improving, you know, which he is, at his age, you know, sort of keep holding him as long as you possibly can. Yeah, just just to point out there, I'm not advocating selling Pickford, by the way. Yeah. I'm just saying about what the thought process will be in the club if, if somebody showed serious interest in him. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a fair discussion to have, and it's why yeah, we brought it up absolutely. in terms of there would be a decision to make if somebody tabled 
an offer that was, you know, as Prano said, would it be 60, 70? Would it be plus? I don't know. We're, we're just, we're sort of just pl- plucking numbers out the air, but the club would not just dismiss it out of hand given the restrictions placed on us by uh, financial fair play, would they? It'd be interesting to see what Benitez's um, well, uh, attitude is. Because he spoke about stuff like that today, didn't he? I think he's spoken about January again, hasn't he? Uh, I'm not saying that all this will happen in January, but it's just, it's just put under the microscope again, the club's finances, hasn't it? Mm. Um, it'd be interesting to see what Benitez's thoughts about it as well. You know, if mm. he, you know, what does he want for the next three or four transfer windows? A couple of million quid, <laughs> a transfer window, if you're lucky, um, or if you sell somebody, you've got a lot more flexibility in what you can, what you can do. Uh, but then you've got to replace them, and also as well, there's a bit of a vacuum at goalkeepers, isn't there, underneath Pickford at the moment within the club. Um, it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? I, 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 but going back, to, I thought it was good to see. Shows Jordan's doing well. Yeah, absolutely. And fingers crossed, he can do well um, on Sunday. Um, Preno, let's let's go back to the game then. Um, I, you know, I think I asked I asked Gavin then attempted to ask Adam before the technical issues arose. Give me give me your, give me your eleven um, if you can. Then, given on what we know with injuries and and how do we. Uh, how do we how do we look in terms of system and, and formation? Well, the easiest way to look at it is look at the players who were on the bench, uh, you know, so in the last game because we've got you know nobody else has recovered from injury. We've got exactly the same, you know, well, we haven't got the same number of players. Mason Holgate suspended now, so we've got you know sort of one player less. But the players on the bench against Tottenham: Cheng Tosin, Rondon, John Joe Kenny, Alex Iwobi, and Branthwaite. You know, would either of them displace any of the players that started? Against the Spurs, no, absolutely not. It's you know, sorry to to, to labour the point because we've talked about it a million times. It doesn't change anything. But you, when you read that subs bench, yeah. quite frightening, really, isn't it? That's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, when you're actually thinking maybe Cheng Tosin could come on and do a job for us, and uh, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, so maybe Alex Iwobi, how many chances has he had? Um, so. No, none of those players are going to displace you know, so any of the players who started. Obviously, Tom Davis is taken out of the equation now as well. Uh, so, you know, so that's an issue. Gabamin came on for the last minute, didn't he? And I don't think, you know, like clearly the manager doesn't trust him. You know, so we're hearing that, you know, he's very up and down in training and can't get any degree of consistency. So to me, it's got to be the same starting eleven, And it's just how you set them up. You've got to try and set them up as, as resolutely and as, you know, so organised a fashion as possible. And maybe, you know, so use the opportunity for Damari Gray and you know, maybe Richarlison to use their pace on the break. But that also suggests is that Anthony Gordon is going to get another opportunity to start. Uh, and I totally commend that uh, because the lad's done really well the last few games and he's showing a real maturity now. He's working very, very hard. Uh, he's finishing games now. This is the latest big test for him. Uh, but, you know, it's an opportunity he deserves. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed he can go out there and take it. Because we'll need somebody like him to produce something a little bit special to get anything from the game. And there have been a couple of little hints, haven't there, in recent games that he's quite close to breaking that duck. I mean, there was the volley he had from the edge of the penalty area. He didn't quite connect with. And we know he can run with the ball and run well with it. So, you know, so maybe this could be his breakthrough game. Who knows? But uh, I'd literally start with the same 11 players and set them up, you know, so as tight and as organised a fashion as possible. We know that Manchester City are going to have the lion's share of the possession, so it's all about how we defend and how we 
constrict the space and how we prevent them from getting, you know, so inside our box and getting to the touchline. And like I said earlier, Rafa will have a plan to do that and whether the players can carry it out on the day. Gav, just staying with with Anthony before we move on to uh, predictions and, and one last thing. I was I was um, went on one of the Premier League's TV shows this week and was asked to give a very brief scouting report on Anthony Gordon. And they were like, oh, tell us what sort of player he is. If you were asked that question, how would you describe um, Anthony? Uh, hard working. Um, some of that's come from the games. He's had to play where he's played a lot of minutes. Man United away, Spurs at home. Uh, as I said, I think last time we spoke about him, they're not the games to judge him by, though, are they? Because he's not in he's not in the team to be a defensive midfielder who. He's not. Down, he's not Gav. But would you yeah. would you not imagine that Rafa will actually be telling him? If you want to make it and you want to be a top level pro, look what Andros Townsend does. Jesus. Well, no, no, I'm not. I, I'm not declaring. No, absolutely. Yeah. That's not. That's not Chris. I'm saying he's worked hard, but the games he's had to do, he's worked mm. hard to get well against good team. Well, it's spares it a bit. Uh, they've got decent players, but they're not that great at the moment. So he, he works hard to say, but I won't. I'm not going to judge him about about Man United away in spares at yeah. home. I'm going to judge him about games where he's got to use his own imagination and flair and think for himself, and make his own, take his own decisions on the pitch. You know, in the final third, maybe yeah. against teams where we've um, we're expected to win. Uh, you or know, we, or we see any of the ball. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, in so, some respects, Spurs and Man United are good games for you know to free hit. I suppose in some some respects, like tomorrow is. Mm. Hence, why I said that the, the description for him is hard working, but mm. also acknowledging that there has been sort of a few few um, signs of him being you know, a bit more adventurous. But I think that's going to take time to, to sort out, isn't it? And he, he's, ham- you know, he's hampered, isn't he, by injuries elsewhere, I think. Um, but he, it's, it's good that he's getting game time. And, and, and you'd like to think that's not just because of we've got a few injuries, is that he's done enough to convince Benitez that he's got, you know, he can, he can push on a bit more. Uh, but yeah. there's still a hell of a lot of work to do there. Uh, yeah. I'll have a lot. And I still think he needs an extra half stone, a little bit of extra muscle. I still think he looks a little bit lightweight than me. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, certainly uh, in the where he's in the pecking order, it's on merit. You know, he's ahead of a Wobi, isn't he? On everybody's on everybody's uh, scorecard, so yeah. to speak, isn't he? So, uh, and there's a reason for that. You know, he's, he's doing he's doing as much as he can at the moment. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Okay, let's do uh, predictions, Preno. We're not, we're not sort of. Uh, it's not common for us to be predicting defeats on the Royal Blue Pod. But what are you going to predict? Are you trying to prompt me there? Are you trying to suggest that I'm no, going to be? A I'm just saying, there? you know, it's the toughest away game of the season. I would not judge yeah. you if you said we were going to lose. <laughs> no, it's funny actually because um, the last podcast we did last week, uh, somebody plucked out a sixty-second episode of me being ridiculously optimistic, talking about how Crystal Palace had gone to Manchester City and won there, how Liverpool had been, you know, turned over by West Ham. So, you know, so who's to think that, you know, so maybe Everton couldn't do that. And it was me in a rare moment of, you know, so optimism, you know, doing a Sam Carroll. And mm-hmm. I got, got collared by Jamie Carragher at this deal on Saturday night, basically laughing at me, said I couldn't believe that, you know, so listening to you, is that really what you think is going to happen? And in hindsight, I probably don't. 
Um, you know, so the Derby's different because of the atmosphere on the night and because of, you know, sort of the, the intensity of the occasion. City are a special team. And I know, having said earlier in the uh, the you know podcast that they've been caught out by Southampton and caught out by Crystal Palace this season. And I know post-international break fixtures can sometimes be a bit difficult, you know, to catch teams cold. But maybe it helps City the fact that it's on a Sunday, you know, so rather than a Saturday. We're really up against it. I genuinely don't think we're going to get anything. Um, you know, if, if I'm being utterly realistic, I can see us hopefully putting in a shift and putting in a really hard-working performance, but their greater quality will just we'll show, we'll show through on the day uh, and we'll end up losing by a couple of goals. Uh, mm. uh, I just find it so difficult you know, to, to predict anything more than that against a team of their quality. And they've looked so good in recent games. I mean, Manchester United, they absolutely schooled. You know, so hopefully Rafa will have a much better tactical setup than Oli Gunnar Solskjaer did that. You know that afternoon, uh, I'm confident he will. But the respective qualities of the squads, you know, I mean, look at the players we've got missing. You know, so we talked about the bench, you know, from last week or from the last game, and we've, we've had Mason Holgate and Tom Davis taken out of that. You know, so since then, so no, we're really up against it, and I'm really sorry, but for the first time ever on this podcast, I think we're going to predict the defeat. Mm. Gavin, I've said this to a few people, you know, beyond beyond the sort of um, the walls of, of the fan base and the club and stuff, that the, the fit and healthy, strongest 11 or 12 players in, in the squad will be competitive with most, if not all. And, and, and you, yeah. would, you, would, you would go in positive. We haven't got that at our disposal. Um, and I'm fe- I am sort of realistic like Preno in the sense that I do suspect we will come up short. But for me... If we are to come up short, then it's the performance because we came up hugely short in May and got tonked a bit, but were terrible. And there was nothing. There was nothing to take from it. There was nothing that, oh. not that Ancelotti hung around for much longer, but there was nothing he could have taken from that game. And look, we got turned over massively. We're all embarrassed, but we did this. It was just an humiliation. How do you see it going? Uh, hopefully, better than. Um... Last last time out, um, we have to remind the people. I think uh, Tosin scored for Palace, didn't he? Last he did. time he played at uh, at City. Um, don't know what his odds are. I know you're the bet man. What's his odds for first goal on um, <laughs> on Sunday? I suggest they're probably high. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I get I agree with Preno. It's going to be difficult, and the logic says that you, we're going to get a defeat, but. The two things I would say is, firstly, is, you know, as long as you work hard, put a shift in, players we've got missing, if we do that, that's the minute. If we get beat, that's fine. Um, you know, you, no no, uh, no, no uh, moans from me. Uh, I, I was just thinking back, I remember we had a similar pod, Phil, but the first time we went to City under Guardiola, where they started the season really well and it was like, thinking, oh, we're going to go here, we're going to get nothing. And I think the sort of atmosphere of that pod was the same as as this one to, to a degree. And we ended up drawing one all, didn't we? Thanks to two penalties from uh, saves from Stecklenburg, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so on that basis and the fact that I'm going to deviate from Prano, I'm going to go with the same <laughs> one-all draw. I don't know why, but um, 
you know, me being optimistic on a podcast, you'd ever thought it, you know. <laughs> well, hopefully you're right, Gav. Hopefully you're right. Oh, before we before we finish, Gavin, I don't know if you've had the opportunity when I've not been on the pods to talk about the book. Is it available? And can you tell us, you know, come to Christmas, what's what's the script? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just to uh, clarify, there's been out of uh, the Cubitans control, there's, there's problems with the distributor. Um, so there's been delays of plenty with uh, with orders, but my understanding is the good news uh, from the Cubitan this week is all orders are being sent out, um, and hopefully we'll get them all in, you know, shortly. Um, thankfully, and, and hopefully get a chance to talk about it a bit more detail on this on this pod before Christmas. Sure. Got a yeah. few events lined up. Um, one in Waterstones a week on. Monday, there's that the 29th. Uh, Darren Griffiths from Everton's there, and I'm there. Duncan McKenzie's there, um, and that's uh, so that's that should be good as well, and a couple of other things that haven't been announced yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to talking about that in due course. And good stuff, chaps. Thanks very much for your time and uh, insight. Excellent as always. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, stay with us. Across the weekend, uh, Adam and I will be at the Etihad on Sunday uh, and see how that plays out and. Uh, Stay with us with all the news, uh, reaction and opinion from uh, what will be another tough game, but let's hope uh, let's hope we come away with something. Thanks very much. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.